0: Like, we are all emotional human beings. Like, regardless of how much work we do and how much we mature and how much we master those, like, there are just times where we're overworked and we're frustrated or we're late or we're hungry and, like, just all the pieces don't align. And I think one thing we need to practice with ourselves and with others is that forgiveness, that compassion like I, in the situation you just described like going apologizing like saying you're sorry that's great and it's I, I just feel like a lot of times now like ap- apologies either aren't like aren't accepted or we don't allow that space anymore and we just have we're we're getting to areas where we're like we don't practice that compassion and it's just we're all gonna make mistakes we're all gonna be short sometimes but it's it's really important to like, move beyond it, to grow and to evolve.
1: Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like, right, diddly, now. How are you doing, folks? Hope you're all doing well. It is hot, hot, hot here in Los Angeles. I just turned my fan off a little bit so I could, you don't hear it humming in the background, but bye, it is hot here. Uh, what's going on in Davies life? Well, getting closer to going back to the UK, I have my meeting with immigration officials at the end of July, so hopefully all going well. I should be able to go back to the UK in August, but it doesn't look like I'm going to do that. My beautiful wife is going back to the UK for a visit, so my son may very well come back with her. And we'll have some family time here in the sun rather than hoping uh, that it doesn't rain in the UK. But uh, it's good. It's like it will be a big weight off my shoulders for sure, you know. Um, So I just want to share that with you. Uh, What else is going on in my life? Well, I've been doing a lot, a lot of work on myself, folks, lately. A lot of inner child work, a lot of trauma, a lot of emotional release. I've been in this coaching container called Elementum. Uh, coaching institute for well, four months now, and whoa, 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 what an accelerated journey that I've been on, you know, and I just want to talk about just briefly a couple of things that have come up for me as a result of that. Number one, you know, I gave up drinking over 11 years ago after reading Alan Carr's Easy, the Way to Control Alcohol. I changed my paradigm. I changed my belief system From one that said that alcohol was pleasurable and normal to one that said alcohol is not pleasurable, it has no value whatsoever, and it ain't normal to drink this drug that is screwing up my life, right? It was a very mental game for me. And when I got into coaching, that's how I help people. I help them by change their paradigm. Then when I created my first program, which was called Lean Life, which eventually became the truth about alcohol, which eventually became uh, the life-changing experience, which eventually became the intensive, which is now the Strive Method, was very heady, was very intellectual, was very rational, was very created around paradigm busting, about changing neuroplasticity around how we think about this problem of alcohol. The Elementum Coaching Institute and Kaboom, before that, which is run by Zion Kim and uh, Preston. So, in the last twelve to eighteen months that I've been doing this work, I've realised a massive, massive aspect of this thing we call recovery, which mm-hmm. I know for a fact that people like Holly Whitaker, give her a shout out um, over at the, the Temper and the Tempest. That used to be Hipsa sobriety really did have covered, and I. Completely missed it because it just wasn't in my life. And that's working with the body, working with emotion, working with trauma, working with getting used to feeling again, you know, because we've all been, we've all been raised uh, by our school and our educational systems that those who think the smartest and can do the best on test scores uh, get on in life. So we we learn to outthink, uh, uh, think, outthink our problems. Um, that doesn't work. It doesn't result in lasting change. How do I know that? Uh, because I stopped drinking 11 years ago to try to save my first marriage. It didn't work. We divorced. And on so many occasions, Liza has nearly left me um, and me nearly left Liza um, for the sheer fact that even though I wasn't drinking and even though I was looking at life very, very differently than I was when I was a drinker, I, when I was out of the matrix. There are different layers of the matrix. I got pulled out of one matrix. I think, actually, Krasimir Dabrowski, the Polish psychotherapist, he covers this the best in his theory on positive disintegration, which we cover in the Strive Method, actually. Um, And that is, there are different levels in life to go up if you want to grow and evolve. So... The first level, which he calls the uni level, is where I was when I was drinking in Ogmore Vale. I had no internal conflict, no desire to change, and nobody within my circle of friends was really driving that growth either. I was quite happy, ground dog day, on that pie for this resistance. That's called the uni level. But then Dabrowski says, at some stage in your life, and it is not age-related Um, You will encounter an issue in your life, a challenge, and you will either overcome that challenge and grow and develop and and positively disintegrate and start to go from this uni level to this leveling up game, right? And if you think about leveling up, you look at like Gandhi, Martin Luther King, yeah... um, uh, I don't know, all these like saints, that, are, you know, the Dalai Lama, they're right at the top, right? So we're climbing the stairs to get there. And at some point when I stopped drinking, I went up a step and I started to kind of like think differently. I started to fill my white space. I changed my railway career. I um, got through a divorce and I grew and I developed and all that kind of stuff. But just recently, I've gone up another step, another level by really embracing and understanding how I feel, um, learning how to channel and move energy and emotion through my body, doing inner child work, codependency work, trauma work. And I'm really putting all of that into my personal coaching practice and seeing some really, really good results. So the STRIVE method is stronger and better than ever now as a result of us incorporating this very, very important, uh, much needed part of the body work. And we're talking about that a lot in our STRIVE community. Um, And I am really putting that into my coaching game. So if you're interested in in, uh, personal coaching and taking the STRIVE method, reach out to us at 1K Day Soberat ajima.com we have your back covered the other thing that i've really been working on lately is understanding that you know we are all human we really are but there are times when a man needs other men there are times when a man needs other men there are times when a man needs a man to hold space for him and there are times when he needs a woman to hold space for him and for that reason i'm creating a men's group and i'm calling it the wild man project And it's all about um, expanding upon Robert Bly's work in Iron John to find the wild man within ourselves, right? Which is, um, you know, the wild man is that uh, uh, divine, mature masculine, that uh, ability to hold space, that ability to be compassionate, to be curious, to be loving, to be solid, to be strong, um, to be able to, you know, to be emotionally mature. Like everything that that, um, we... We don't associate with being a man's man, right? Like, so I, I'm creating a space for men to talk about men's shit and to help each other and hold space and to guide each other uh, to allow the release of the wild man within each of us. So if you're interested in joining the wild man project, then send me an email at one caseover at gmail.com and I'll tell you how to get involved in that. Okay. All right. So that's what's going on in my life. Uh, today we have a guest view. His name is Will Black. After overcoming years of depression and alcoholism, Will, now three years sober, helps others overcome their own obstacles. As a life coach, Will empowers driven individuals to break free of limiting behaviors, create structure, and live balanced lives. Using an holistic approach incorporating meditation, yoga, and mindfulness practices, Will teaches his clients the modalities that helped him. And by sharing his story, Will aims to spread awareness, destigmatize mental health and addiction, and help those struggling break free of their limitations. I got Will on because, you know, I think yoga and the body and all that kind of stuff is like super important uh, and um, still exploring that myself and who better to get an expert on to talk about it, right? So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Will Black. This meeting is being recorded. <laughs> I, Will, those are the biggest headphones I've ever seen in my life. You know what you, you look like? You- you look, mm. you, look, you look like a jedi <laughs>
0: got the princess Leia almost going on
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's definitely something going on. I love it i think are, are they gaming headphones yeah
0: originally uh just uh makes makes for
1: a better recording
0: you know double, double use. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, do you uh, do you game at all then um not not very often but uh I do I like playing the occasional game.
1: Hmm. hmm.
0: Are you yeah, are I'm you a gamer?
1: <laughs> no, you used, used to be a long time ago, but um I don't know. May, maybe I should find time to play some games. We'll talk about that in a bit, but but first of all, I'm just really interested um, yoga. <laughs> so, like it's something that that I enjoy doing, you know, like uh, I enjoy a good stretch. I particularly like cosmic yoga, which is like a children's yoga channel I do with my 4-year-old. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems less serious and like more fun, but I've never, and I, and I like when me and my wife used to go to yoga sessions together outside of, um, you know, the pandemic, but I've never made it a consistent part of my life. I stretch every morning for like five minutes, but I, I've never made yoga uh, a successful part of my life. So there's two things I, I want you to talk about. Um, one is Why is it that when we know that something really works for us, we we don't do it as often as we should do? And two, what is it about yoga that changed your life and why should we uh, get into it? Beautiful. Yeah, I
0: think I would say with your first question, I think one interesting underlying principle with our behaviors, with our lives is the idea that our bodies are naturally resistant to change. We naturally come into a state of homeostasis with whatever that may be. So for some of us, that's going to be a state of anxiousness or a state of maybe not eating right, maybe not exercising. And so although we learn that yoga is good for us or there are foods we should be eating that we don't eat, or maybe we should be practicing things like gratitude journaling, things like that, naturally our body is going to want to keep us in the state that we're used to. So if, if we eat unhealthy, it's going to be resistant to eating healthy foods. And if we, if we don't exercise, it's going to be resistant to exercising. And so what, what's going on is just pushing, pushing through that resistance as far as when that voice in our head or our instinct is pulling away, like catching it and doing it anyway. So with with something, say, like making yoga a practice. I mean, I think, I think most often what, what happens with a lot of us is, say, we start, we get really excited that day one, um, but then maybe a week or so in, our brain is like, oh, I'd rather like take the day off. I'd rather skip it. I'd rather watch Netflix or do whatever. And I think the key moment, the key difference then is hearing that and deciding to do something different. And the more we practice that, the more we hone that, the more we consistently build those good habits, and then the more it becomes something we enjoy. I think, I think any form of fitness, any sort of new habit, it's, a lot of it is just we're uncomfortable. It's something new at the beginning. But once we start seeing the benefits, once we really start feeling it too, um, that's, that's when it becomes less of a chore, less of a, I have to do this and more of something I want to do.
1: Hmm, yeah. I think when it comes to me actually actively going to a yoga studio, it's the uncomfortableness of leaving the house. Mm. Right. <laughs> and then if it's like, cause that, cause it's guy in I'm in Los Angeles. So I don't really know where I'm going. It's uncomfortable for me to drive. Then I don't know what type of yoga teacher is going to be. I don't Mm. know who's going to be there. I don't know if it's going to stretch me. I don't know if I'm going to look like a complete idiot and on and on and on. And then in the house, it's more time related. Mm. Like it's kind of like, you know, you, you build up this, uh, this, um, bullshit vision of these are the most important things I should do today. But I'm assuming listening to you and for the audience, what we're actually doing is not picking uh, the most important, but what's the most comfortable? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think
0: one point you're really touching on too is the uncertainty of it. I think, mm. especially with our healthy habits, like we'll just use yoga for now. Like, because there are so many schools, like so many different styles of yoga, and each studio is so different, and each teacher is so different. It's like the that amount of uncertainty creates all these like big barriers. And it can already be so hard to start a new practice, start a new hobby, or start a new anything. So the more we can remove those uncertainties, the more we can be assured. Like Going into a class and knowing this class is really going to work on my flexibility. That's what I'm going to get. Or this class is really going to help me with my strength. Or this class is going to give me deep rest. Or this teacher I have a connection with, they really understand me, they know what sort of flow I'm going in. I think what I mean, especially what Tremia more more when it was like going to the gym was just not knowing what I was doing. So I would have mm. the intention of like I wanna, I wanna be healthier, I wanna be more in my body, but if I don't know what I'm doing, then I'm not seeing results and nothing's changing. And so then I'm discouraged and then it and then it all fades away.
1: Mm, good, to, it's good that you said the gym there because <clears throat> whenever I think about going to the gym, there's, a, there's a, I want to draw attention to our stories and our reality, right? So when I think of the gym then you say the gym, a story is created and manifests straight away in my head, which is if I go to gym, I'm going to have lots of complicated equipment with lots of heavy weights, with lots of big fucking men. And I'm going to be in there, this pathetic, wimpy little boy, and I'm going to have to ask these men. So I'm asking them. So now they're in a status hierarchy to me. I've got to ask them, how do I do this? And then they're going to say, oh, yeah, do it with this. And I'm going to be like, yeah, I I, I need to take those weights down. And all of that just takes me right back to my inner child, right back into the playground. Some kids don't like me. They're trying to control me, teach it. and, And I'm just, I don't want to go to gym. Yep. But the reality is, when you get there, these big hunky guys—they want to help you out. They're not mm. thinking that you're pathetic and you're puny. The reality is very different to the story. So, touch upon that a little bit. Oh, absolutely.
0: I I think you've illustrated so well, and I've had I've had the same biases, the same the same ideas. Um, it's so funny because I mean. I mean, a lot of our fears, say from the gym, they're not unfounded as far as there have been the instances where someone's judgmental or someone's putting someone else down, something like that. But overwhelmingly, it's a very supportive place. And in the same way in a yoga studio, like if you go in and people are in these crazy shapes or crazy positions, it can feel like, oh, I'm not as flexible or... I don't belong, like I'm, I'm not as in tune, I, I don't fit in here. But so much of that is just these voices in our heads. And mm. <clears throat> I, think, I think one area I really experienced this was in sobriety, as far as a lot of my big fears were socializing early on. And my fears were that I'm going to go into these places and people are judging me because I'm a non-drinker They think I'm weird. They think I'm lame. They think I don't belong. And really, that was all in my head. Like, for the most part, when I would say I'm not drinking or I would say I quit, I was met with support. All those fears, all those things were just insecurities or ideas that had been put in me, programmed into my head that were unfounded. And I think so much of our journey is identifying these limiting thoughts, these limiting beliefs and moving past them.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I relate to that. I was actually talking about that in our community strive uh, maybe a month ago, you know, it's when people turn around and say, these people are not accepting me for who I am. Mm. Very often it's a story and you're not accepting yourself for who you are. And resistance is blaming them. Mm. So resistance is saying to you, Hey, um this non-drinking thing you're thinking about don't do it cuz when you go out they'll they'll all think you're a prick right that's resistance mm. so you're then saying yeah they're totally judging me no 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 one's judging you you're judging yourself i 100% i've i've caught
0: myself doing that and i think so many of us get caught in that loop like mm. we're putting this idea out there that they're judging us they're the assholes they're they're the one doing it and it it's all us It's all our own judgments, our own worries, our own anxieties.
1: Yeah. And it could be a really good practice to whenever you're judging someone else. So in this case, I'm judging this person for judging me, same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, or something that somebody does that really annoys you is to say, okay, where is this showing up in my life right now? So if someone's judging me, where's judgment showing up in my life right now? Like, um, Mm -hmm. If someone is trying to control me, and it's annoying me. Where am I trying to control other people in my life right now? One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's so funny, honestly, as far as catching those moments because I think, I mean, the more secure we are in ourselves, the more we feel confident in our our thoughts, our actions, our words. The more like we really let go of. The opinions the judgments of others because hmm. like when when we feel comfortable in our own skin i mean if someone else is judging us it's very much like well, whatever i mean that's that's your problem that's your life like i know who i am but when you have when you have that doubt when you have that those questions of i'm not sure then they're judging and it's like oh their judgment no that's them that's that's not me
1: hmm. yeah i think um on that point, you know, my own personal experience is once you, it's almost like um, you have a like a window of tolerance of what you're capable mm. of uh, handling in the world, right? And then your job as a human being is to expand and expand that window of tolerance. So I always like to think, okay, so I'm my false self a lot of the time, right? So I'm my false self on my 95 percent subconscious. I'm conditioned on my thought patterns. I'm just doing what the world wants me to do. Then there's this 5% of my conscious thought, which is like my true self, right? And the more I can get into my true self, the more I can expand my range of tolerance. So then when someone's judging me, then all of a sudden I can look at them and go, oh, wow, that's an interesting point of view. They're they're judging me. I wonder what's going on for them because my window of tolerance is expanding. I'm in my true self. But if I cannot expand it, And someone's judging me, then my inner child comes out and I'm like, oh, that person's judging me. And straight away, the false self is like, remember when you were 10 years of age and nobody accepted you? It's happening right now, Lee. So for me, doing that work, like doing the inner child work, doing the trauma work, learning how emotions shift around you, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, all of that is designed to expand your window of tolerance. So you can you don't have to make it about you all the time. Do you know what I mean? Does that land?
0: 100%. I think meditation, mm-hmm. mindfulness in particular, are really good as far as separating your... Uh, essentially, I, I guess how you're describing it, like the the little S self and the capital S self, like the small ego, the the one who thinks it's all about you, and then the higher more more encompassing taking in the larger picture taking in everything i do think i mean i think especially what you're touching on as far as when it comes from other people as far as when it comes to i mean a lot of our our negative interactions say someone's rude to us someone's mean someone's judgmental whatever whatever that action may be so often it is such a reflection of what they're going through mm. like like any, when I've worked as, as like a server, when I was like teenager, early twenties, like you get people all the time where they're, they're so rude. They're like, Oh, this drink is wrong. Or, Oh, I asked for not this. And you gave me this. And if you internalize that, it's like, Oh, they're attacking me. And it's like, no, like their life up until this point has been this series of powerlessness. Like, mm maybe their kids are acting up or maybe their marriage is strained or their boss is keeping them late at night. And so they're dealing with all these other complex things. And now in this moment where like they're in the seat of power, it's like, they want to take that control back. Yes. It's not about like, Oh, the drink is wrong. It's that like, Oh, this is like my chance to like, take it back. And like, Oh, this is how I, I feel in control. I feel powerful
1: again. Yeah. There's a great book by Oren Claff. Fuck. I can't remember what it's called now. It's a marketing book. And, and it's about those power struggles and identifying them, you know? So, um, I'll give you, I'll give you two more like that. When I worked in the poker industry and I worked in the high stakes poker tour, I would, um, I would go up to a high stakes poker player and I would say to him, um, do you want me to interview you? Like, could you, could you spare some time for an interview? And some of them would be like, yeah, sure, right? But some of them would be like, hang on a minute. And then they would pause or they would talk to someone else. And they would leave me waiting for 30 seconds to a minute. And then they'd say, yeah, if I got time, I'll do that. And Oren Claff got me to see it. Holy shit, why is that making me so uncomfortable? Because they're deploying a power strategy. They're saying to you subliminally, I'm above you in the status hierarchy, which is if mm. if you've had trauma um, when you're younger around socialization and hierarchy, that's gonna tr- that's gonna trigger you, right? Like the other one that really triggers me, oh my word, ho- is um, airports. Mm. So like whenever I give that person my passport, it doesn't matter what fucking country I'm in, they control they assert, They're the way they look at you, the way they communicate with you is so demeaning. It's like. I am the person who is going to let you into this country or not. And I just, I always think, wow, you got so beat up when you was in the playground when you were younger.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand that so much. I mean, I, I, you touch on bringing, bringing up the inner child a lot and it is exactly that. It just, any of those interactions any of those triggers just immediately take us back to like when we were small we had no control and someone else someone else had authority over us and it's it's so odd as 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 adults because there's i, I mean in in an ideal world where we're all respectful and we all treat each other with that same human compassion but when you don't find that it's like yeah, it's just like, it feels like you're like a kid in trouble or like the principal or the unfair teacher is just saying like, nope, like this isn't how it is. And Mm. I mean, especially, I mean, like international borders, something like that. I mean, like, yeah, you really do have no say like they're they might be rude. They might be unfair, but you are completely 100% at their mercy. And that's, I, I don't know anyone that feels comfortable in that situation.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, it, and it's really is what goes through my head at that time is like, why are you treating me like this? But then mm. I then I have to play by the same rules and ask myself, where am I treating people like this? Mm. You know, and 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 then I'm like, oh shit, you know what? When I don't get my way when I'm calling the bank or I'm calling and I don't get my own way, I start behaving like this, passport control person. And then and then and then the amount of times I have to go back and apologize. I remember being in um Schiphol airport in Amsterdam, they wouldn't let me on my flight. I got the wrong ticket or something. I was going to miss my flight and I played fuck. Right. I really did. And then I went and got some flowers and I went back to the woman and I gave her the powers Mm -hmm. and I was like, I am so sorry. I was just so in my survival brain right then. Like I just have a clue what I was doing and I was so scared and afraid and I should not put that on you, you know? And
0: well, and I mean, I, one, I think that's really beautiful and wonderful because I mean, I I think with all of these, I mean, mindfulness practices, meditation, yoga, I mean, they can teach you how to be more patient. Like they can teach you when, when your emotions are getting to that point of frustration or outburst to like, to lessen that. But I think, I think so often we have this false hope or false expectation that like, we're going to reach a point where we don't behave that way anymore. And like, we're all emotional human beings, like, Mm -hmm. regardless of how much work we do and how much we mature and how much we master those. Like there are just times where we're overworked and we're frustrated or we're late or we're hungry. And like just all the pieces don't align. And I think one thing we need to practice with ourselves and with others is that forgiveness, that compassion like I, in the situation you just described, like going, apologizing, like saying you're sorry, that's great. And it's, I, I just feel like a lot of times now, like apologies either aren't like aren't accepted or we don't allow that space anymore. And we just have, we're, we're getting to areas where we're like, we don't practice that compassion. And it's just, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to be short sometimes, but it's, it's really important to like move beyond it to grow and to evolve
1: mm. and and i wanna I wanna touch more upon that and yoga' in a minute, but i I want to stick with this um this theme of stories really, and um how the external impacts the internal and I just want to share share a story with you right, and then you can tell me how in your work that you deal with this kind of stuff for the audience listening so um in the last couple of weeks. I've I've just got into that scarcity funk where everything has not been going right for me, right? So things have been going wrong, or people have not been doing what I want them to do. My expectations are not being met, and I'm starting to feel fear, anxiety, frustration, and anger. Okay, mm. and then a part of that was uh, Facebook um, not allowing me to advertise what I do, right? Because um addiction on helping people mm. with addiction is 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 you know you need to be a professional and you need to go through certain rules and instructions and particularly around alcohol in certain mm. countries you can advertise and sell it but you can't advertise to help people who've got a problem with it um so they they blocked my domain and I was like and it really sent me into a funk and then yesterday they unblocked my domain and suddenly I felt really happy. Mm -hmm. And I was in the cold shower yesterday and I was thinking, holy shit, Lee, like, and then let's like, you know, I'm growing every day, like I'm growing every day, but every day I'm having light bulb moments that Mm -hmm. I still have so much more to grow. And yesterday it was, Lee, you're getting your needs met from external sources. You are currently in an outside in dynamic. You need to be, and then I said to myself, well, what do I do about that? So then I started saying, oh, well, I need to be grateful and appreciative of what I got. So then I started saying, I'm really grateful I got my wife, Liza. I'm really grateful I got Zia. i really really grateful I got my son, Jude. And then I was like, fuck, you're doing it again. Because Zia, Jude, and Liza are outside of me. Mm. They will make me happy. They will make me sad. So, how do we switch this outside in to an inside out? How can I say to myself, oh, yeah, okay, everything seems to be going wrong right now, but it is as it is. And that doesn't affect me or my happiness or my sadness. Like, uh, what, how would you deal with that in your line of work? We interrupt this incredible conversation between Lee David and Will Black to give you a reading from Iron John by Robert Bly. When a contemporary man looks down into his psyche, he may, if conditions are right, find under the water of his soul, lying in an area no one has visited for a long time, an ancient hairy man. Welcoming the hairy man is scary and risky, and it requires a different sort of courage. Contact with Iron John requires a willingness to descend into the male psyche and accept whilst dark down there, including the nourishing dark. Are you ready to release your wild man, your hairy man? If you are, join Lee Davy and the wild man project, email him at 1kdaysober at gmail.com for more information. And right now we'll pass you on to another hairy man. we black.
0: Absolutely. So I think, I mean, what you're touching on there, there are a lot of complicated ideas here and it's, it's interesting because you you hold both simultaneously, and they they can seem counterintuitive. They can seem like they don't pair up together, but they do. Like I think I think one example as as far as you're touching on, like the ex the external sources of happiness. Like in in very in in a lot of yogic and a lot of eastern traditions, there's going to be so much cautioning against finding your happiness from an external because externals can be taken away they can change they're temporary so if that's i mean most people if if there were common common things to get caught up in that would be like relationships finances or a, a career something like something like that mm-hmm. and so many people are going to be stuck in this loop where they're like oh if i if i just find the perfect partner then I'm going to be happy. If I just make X amount of dollars, then I'm going to be happy. Or if I have this many clients or this many, whatever. And what happens is these benchmarks there. It's not that we do, we shouldn't pursue them. It's not that we have to be a renunciate or monk or like, it doesn't mean that external things are bad. Then it's just the amount of value we ascribe to them and thinking that that is the end all, because if if it is an external, there's always going to be more like, you can always have more likes, always have more money, always more something. Like it's never going to, it's never going to be enough. Um, at the same time, like, I mean, we're not, we're not islands. <laughs> like, like it, there, it cultivating your sense of self-worth, like knowing that you are complete on your own. I mean, that, that is so true. Like it, it sounds, it sounds really cliche, but here now in this moment, I mean, we are, we are perfect as we are like the present moment. Like we, we are complete and it doesn't mean you, we don't strive for more because growth is happiness. Growth is progress, but there is being content, being, being fulfilled with what we are and what we have now. And it's, it's, it it i I mean it it is so complicated, I mean believe me like i I really understand well it's like well, how can you have this and this like as as far as relationships, whether that's your wife or partner for anyone listening or whoever there i mean yes like it it's holding both it is knowing that we are a complete individual, but also knowing like from your wife or your partner like how much they bring you and how much fulfillment and how different life is at the same time, so like I, I think to tie it up i'm um, i I don't know if this is making sense or this is stumbling, but as far as like as far as expectations, as far as I, I think one of the best ways is letting go of the outcome, and so if that is like reaching a certain amount of listeners or growing your business in a certain way, I think the way that we find fulfillment, the way we find that peace is by giving our all by by serving our listeners serving our clients by doing the absolute best we can but let, letting go of what the outcome of that is mm-hmm. because the outcome we don't have a say in we don't have a say in how people respond or how the world responds or what like Facebook's policies are like it's unfair i mean i i had no idea this policy but i think it's ludicrous that you could sell alcohol but you can't have like a podcast, promoting help from it without special, special permissions. I mean, that's insane to me. Like I, I would agree. I mean, I think that's, that's ludicrous that it shouldn't be that way. But when we get into the process of thinking about shoulds, like it's, it's just never ending because like the world is how it is. It's not how we think it should be. It's not our expectations. And the more we let go of the shoulds, the more peace we find.
1: Hmm. Shoulds and outcome, really important. Yeah. The, the other thing is, uh, just to pull back on, thank you for that, Will, is um, like when he said about the present moment. So, you know, all of the problems that created all of fear up until this moment in my life are still there. But right now in this present moment, which is the only moment that exists, I'm just talking to you. Mm-hmm. Let's say, let's say I have got no money whatsoever in the world right now. That doesn't matter. Cause I'm talking to you. And even, even in the moment when I'm getting evicted from my house, I could be okay. Yeah. I'm getting evicted from my house right now. Um, but right now, like I'm, I'm okay. Like I, I, I have got no, got no home, but I'm okay. And now I need to figure that out, but I'm I'm, I'm okay. Right. Like, so it's just for me, Ninety nine percent, probably that wasn't a good example actually, but ninety nine percent of the time, when when I have shit going on, when I ask myself if I approve of myself, do I have security? You know, very often the answer is yes. It's unusual for me to be in in the midst of complete violence. It's unusual mm. to be in the midst of complete poverty. It's unusual for me to be fearing for my life. Generally, I'm okay, and it's the it's the belief. And the should and the expectation and the outcomes and mm. the stories created, which is driving the pain and suffering, right? It's like you, you said about outcome. I have a, um, a client I'm going to be working with today. I was just looking at her homework assignments that she done on the Stride Method, which is our um, flagship program to help people stop drinking alcohol. And um, one of the things she was saying was it's, it's really difficult like, for me to go out and mix with people because I have this story that um, I'm going to screw something up. Mm. So it's like, okay, so that's an outcome. Like you're worried. It's it's not the people that are the problem. It's not even you that's a problem. It's your attachment to an outcome that that hasn't even existed. So you're you're driving yourself into craziness and to drink over something that you're creating that hasn't even happened yet. So how can you practice not being attached to the outcome? Like, I guess we just do things to take risk, is it?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think as far as letting go of the outcome, it's a practice just like any other, and so in that regard, you do it through repetition. And so it it depends on what it is. I I think one one example that's probably relatable to most that I I, I think illustrates clearly would be like dating. So if you're going into a date and you're thinking like, oh, like. I hope this is my soulmate or I hope we really hit it off or I hope we go home afterwards or I hope all of this. And then those things don't happen. Then it's like, that was wasted. That like my night was not like, none of that mattered. That was stupid. Um, and it's like, if, if that's how you're going into it, then it, then it is terrible. But the more you like lower that bar, the more you like, you let go. I mean, like, You certainly hope dating that like this is gonna be your partner or this is gonna lead to something fulfilling. But with so many things like our you just have to manage expectations. Like generally, this is gonna be either a a stranger or like a recent acquaintance. So if your expectations are like, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna see what they're like. If we hit it off, great. If we don't, I I had an adventure of a night, I'm no better, I am no worse for it. And the more the more we look at it that way, the better off we are. I think I think what gets people tripped up is they're worried about failing. Like they're worried, I'm going to go out and socialize. And if I embarrass myself, then that's a failure. But what, what you have to realize is that on the path to success, like failure is part of it. Like if socializing is your hurdle, like you're like, what your journey is going to be is like, you're going to go out and it's going to be kind of awkward and weird as you figure it out. But over time, you're going to get the hang of it. And eventually it's going to be easy. And then eventually you're never even going to think about it. And so it's just being okay with the process, like knowing that it's okay to mess up and make failures. Like if, if we're looking at why these beliefs are so so like deep in our conscious is because we as a species grew up like hunter gather tribal and so in that world if you are outcast from the tribe like you are done like you you will not survive like we don't live in that world anymore but that part of our brain still exists so it our brain convinces us that if like i embarrass myself like i am done for and it's like it's not the case and so often it's just like people like people don't even remember like a- again it's that like we think everyone else is judging us but no one remembers like i don't remember any gatherings were like oh they were really awkward or that thing they said was kind of weird it's like it's just we replay it in our own minds over and over it is this weird just ego thing so it's if if there is anything to practice it's it's letting go of our need to be perfect. It's letting go of our expectations. It's really, I mean, intentionally holding that and just like allowing yourself to be seen and be vulnerable.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I like about that is like, I'll be in coaching containers with people saying, I have this, such a fear of talking to people. Mm. And I'm like, you know, you, you talk, you're doing it now. Like you're doing it. Like you, you literally are showing up saying, I have a fear of talking to people, which is even more vulnerable than just talking to people, right? Like you're doing it. And so often, like being able to point out these bullshit stories, like sometimes they really offend people. I'm, I'm the type of person who I like it when someone says to me, Lee, you're so full of shit. Like right now you're so full of shit. There's nothing that backs up your story at all. It's just bullshit. Like get out of your bullshit. I love that. Um, Some people get really upset about it because it's like, if I if I don't have my bullshit, I have no protective mechanism. So the false self is like, no, 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 no. no. no don't let him say that to you. You need to defend with your life, you know? And this whole, um, like, uh, Tribal gathering, you know, the, the reptilian brain and all that kind of stuff. Think about this, folks, from the perspective of alcohol. Mm. Like the alcohol industry and the institutions that support it, they spend billions a year on advertising. They know that our reptilian brain trumps our neocortex every single time. They know that. So they tap into it and they, they bombard you with adverts everywhere that says, hey. If you drink this stuff, you're going to blend in. You're going to be sexy. You're going to find your true love. Everybody will love you and like you. And then you look at the people around you when you're a kid, like your mom, your dad, your uncle, your auntie, and then everybody seems to be having fun, which equates to being part of the tribe. So, of course, you want to drink alcohol to be part of the tribe because we're all geared to be aligned to the dominant kind of movement and when when we're aligned to the non-dominant we start asking ourselves is this right is it and we start questioning ourselves don't we
0: 100 percent. i mean as far as my journey i mean what kept me drinking for years and years was exactly that fear as far as in my mind like i remember having a problem like being problematic and being like this is not good for me but i'm like if i don't drink i will never have friends i will never have a relationship i won't have fun like life will just be like what is even the point then yeah. so it was like despite all the like all the bridges burned all the chaos all the anxiety and destruction in my life it was like but what's the alternative yes. and it i mean it, i i think you illustrated really well as far as the industry behind it, as far as I mean, these advertising agencies and alcohol giants and society as a whole. I mean, it I mean, it really is so going against like the vast majority of the culture. And so it takes so much bravery and such a leap of faith to be like, I'm gonna go against ninety nine percent of what everyone else is doing
1: well especially if all of your life you've been programmed to stick go go with the same flow there's a there's a great um picture of like a lot of blue fish swimming this way and then there's one red fish swimming out like to be that one red fish if you've been programmed to be a blue fish all your life is incredible like um one thing that you just mentioned there about um you know like I know so you said something along the lines of look, I know that this isn't it isn't totally right for me. Like I, I it's hurting me. I'm being i make you didn't say this, but like I'm being sick. It's just like there's something not quite right here. However, if I don't suffer this pain, then I'm gonna get even more pain because I will be ostracized from society. That reminds me of Peter Levine's work on trauma, where he says mm-hmm. we have to remember we're all animals. And we forget that because we've reached the top perch, right? We're all animals. And what animals do when it comes to a state of survival is it's fuck the consequences. I'm going to survive. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. I'm going to flee. or I'm going to go into an immobilized state right now. Fuck the consequences. We we're no different. We're animals. So we're just about to go out. We're going to go out in 30 minutes time. Um, We've created this story that no one's going to like us if we don't drink. And it gets more intense. We have all this emotion. We don't know how to deal with our emotion because no one's ever taught us. We don't do yoga practices or mindfulness or anything like that. And all of a sudden we're like, we're in survival mode. And we know that if we drink, it's going to set us back. But fuck the consequences! Right now, the pain's too much. I'm going to drink. You're just like an animal. And this is, I think, is where compassion can come in. Is you know, when people talk about the addict, you know, and they look at the addict as being this person who can't control shit, and he has, you know, we're all fucking addicts. We all have something that's a problem, and we can have compassion with the fact that a lot of this is just biology, just going donk, 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 donk. one oh, 100%. I
0: mean I mean most people I mean most people literally are addicted to some chemical substance uh whether that's alcohol, caffeine, tobacco, something. I mean most most people are dealing with something. But even if it's not that, it's you are getting your fix from something else. Yeah. And it's it's very I mean it <laughs> it is very much as far as I mean you uh, you illustrated absolutely perfectly as far as the brain is in survival mode. And we think it is our cerebral, like our logical mind that is making all the choices, (laughs) but it is our emotional reptilian brain. Like that is what is really driving it at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. I mean, I guess circling way back to the beginning of the conversation, like that is why people don't go to the gym. That is why people keep smoking. It's like the logical part of your brain knows, like, I need to exercise. Smoking is going to kill me. But does that stop people? Like, if our logical bla- brains ruled, there would be no tobacco smokers.
1: Yeah, I think at some point, like, i I seen a guy, 75-year-old, walking around. I said uh, to him yesterday, like, how long did you walk go? He said, 45 minutes. I said, well done, buddy. And he said, well, I have to. I have to because I had a stroke and a heart attack last year. So Mm. I have to do this. Now, I don't know his life. He might've always done it, but the way that he said, I have to, is almost like I literally got into a state of emergency where I could have died. So now Mm. I have to do this. And a lot of us think, a lot of us think we're immortal, particularly when we have these addictions when we're younger. And I don't think it's any fluke. We get to 35, 40 and we start thinking to ourselves, is this right? I, I think it's because we see our mortality coming over the horizon and we start to worry about death a lot more. But anyway, just, to go back to like the emotional. So here's how here's how I'm kind of thinking about life at the moment, right? Is my I spend a lot of time in my head, believe it or not. I need to spend more time in my body and understanding my body because I need to understand that actually it's my my reptilian brain, my emotional brain that is kind of like ruling the roots. So it's really important that I pick up the very early signs of different emotions so I can deal with it, right? Before it really Leads it like anger. I need to I need to identify frustration before it becomes sarcasm before it becomes rage, right? So intuitively, I'm thinking to myself yoga would be great for that, but but I don't really know why. Mm. so so how would you, with everything we've spoke about about creating these stories, about um emotion ruining our lives, about false self being in charge, how can we use yoga as one tool? In our toolkit, in order for us to become more present and more aware of what the fuck's going on, I guess. So
0: I I like thinking of yoga as a very metaphorical practice, um, as far as how it feels in your body and kind of the lessons you glean from it. I mean, very much one with our our mind, body, our spirit, they are all in harmony. They all feed off one another. And the moment we start working on one, the other ones start getting better. Um, so literally, regardless of where you are, you can start with one, and it'll it'll help you with the others. But when you get that, like when you when you take control over your body, like like for instance in yoga, like you can like <laughs> the very first yoga class I was in, uh, I was in downward facing dog, like the most basic, most common posture you're going to find. And my first thought in it was, I was like, God, I hope this isn't important. Cause I was just like, my arms were trembling and I was shaking. I was so uncomfortable. It felt so awful. And within there, like the brain is like, quit, stop. I hate this. Like, no, I like, I can't do this. I want to give up. And it's like, it is in those moments of keeping going. Because, I mean, you can do physical exercise where, like, you do push yourself to exhaustion. Like, nope, I can't hold myself up anymore. But more often, like a beginner yoga practice, what you're going to find is that you'll be practicing and your brain is going to be like, I can't do this. I can't. Like, stop. Quit. And it's like, but if you keep going, then it's like, then there's this, this separation that happens. And there is this intuitive then of like, huh, my brain said I can't do this, but I did do it. What else is like that? Um, I You mentioned earlier, like cold showers. I think this is the best practice anyone can do. Because for most of us, hopping in a cold shower, your brain is like, don't do it. I'm going to die. It's freezing. <laughs> like, this is the worst thing ever. And granted, it's a practice. I think it takes a bit to do. But it's... Cold showers, yoga, I mean, they're, they're very meditative because you get in and it is uncomfortable at first. Like your body is like, ah, I hate this. I want to get out. And then the more you sit in it, the more you sit in that uncomfortability, you're like, huh, it's not, it's not as bad or it's not even bad. Or I actually, I like it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the shift, like the shift for me was, I mean, it happened fitness evolved into yoga, but it very much was that begrudging, like, I have to do this have to take care of my body i don't want to but it's just like i have to do it but then the more you do it the more you tune is it, like oh but i feel really good after like oh i i feel good about myself my body feels good it's like everything is good it's like it's still hard it's still like i mean even getting better at yoga even being stronger fitter like it's still hard and challenging like it's not like my arms are any less sore but it's mm. like my brain associates the good feelings afterwards. And it's, that's the shift. It's, it's moving, moving your brain away from that, like easy comfort that like that soft cocoon where it just wants to be protected. And it's pushing yourself through the uncomfortability
1: growing and getting the higher reward. Mm, I like that. You made me think of it. Like I'm always saying to people, like we're playing this game of life right? We're playing this game of life and we got the wrong set of rules and we Mm. need to get the right set of rules. And what makes a good game? Like we need a good feedback system. We need to voluntarily participate. Uh, we need unnecessary obstacles. We need a goal and we need rules, right? Mm. Yoga to me is a perfect unnecessary obstacle. I don't have to do it. I don't have to do it, but if I do it, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be Um, it's going to have to take a risk. I'm going to feel a little uncomfortable, but at the same time, I'm going to get some reward out of that. And if I do that on and on, I'm going to grow stronger, which means I'm more likely to be able to beat the end boss in whatever level of the game we're in, which, you know, we were talking about (coughs) the end boss is like alcohol, right? How do I beat this alcohol demon, for example? Well, we need to look what obstacles, what constraints are in our life or what could we introduce into our life as a constraint that could really help us. Um, so I, yeah, really like that. 100%.
0: I mean, I think a good way of thinking about it is I think for many of us, we have this false idea that we're going to eventually live problem-free lives and it's never going to be the case. Mm. Um, But the the better way to be then is choose your problems, choose your struggles. So things like yoga, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be uncomfortable, but this is how I'm choosing to be rather than just waiting for life to dish it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like that. So we'll let's finish by just explaining to people what you do, how you can help people, uh, move forward past their unnecessary obstacles and how they can find you.
0: Absolutely. Um, people can find me, uh, Instagram at the balance self that has links to all my pages, all my resources, everything like that. Uh, I do online coaching, So I help driven people overcome their limiting beliefs, limiting behaviors. Uh, My coaching involves using modalities like yoga, meditation, um, really personalizing it to each individual. I mean, my ethos is finding balance. It's my company, The Balanced Self. And so with everyone, they have their own unique needs, unique wants, unique ways they're going to find it. Some, it's going to be yoga. Some, it's going to be cycling, biking, whatever my aim and what I help my clients achieve is balance in their life, finding that real transformation, overcoming their limiting beliefs, their limiting behaviors and giving that accountability and the structures and the systems to do it.
1: Awesome stuff. Well, so get over to Instagram, the balance self, check this wonderful young man out and, um, well, just want to say thank you for all the great work you're doing in the world. I really appreciate our conversation today.
0: Well, thank you very much, Lee. It was an absolute pleasure to be here and I really appreciate it.
1: Okay, folks, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Will Black. I hope that you're all going out and buying your yoga blocks and your yoga bands and your yoga mats, and if you're gonna stretch that body into very funny shapes that you've never stretched before. I'm telling you. Oh, yoga. It will really, really help you get used to your body, and that is an incredibly important thing. Okay, so if you want to continue this work, if you want to change your relationship with alcohol, if you want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol, or you want to reach that holy grail of moderating, if you think you can do it, come to us, join Strive, do the Strive Method, our six month program that will change your freaking life. Head to www.1000daysober.com. And you'll find details on there, how to sign up or email me direct at 1kdaysober at gmail. And we will just jump on a call and make it happen, included in that personal coaching opportunity with myself. No better way of being someone that doesn't drink alcohol, live consciously than to do some personal coaching. All right. I have your back. I have your back. Reach out. Take care, everybody. Until next week. Much love.